unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my It's time for us to get started tonight. We are very happy that you're here tonight. Got a lot of people still coming in, but I do want to go ahead. If you are here tonight and you were not able to take the Lord's Supper this morning, if you'll make your way back to the uh, little chapel, uh, you will be served at this time. All right, let's get started with the books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus,
Be baptized.
say millions and millions of years ago, you know what I want you to do? I want you to sing that song. Every house is built by What I want you to do? That's your son. Every time you hear that, the man say millions and millions of years ago, you sing that song. Okay, we've got to close out with our questions. I don't know too long tonight. What is true success in life? to have you at our services tonight. We're glad that you're here. We're about to go to our Bible classes, but before we do, Thomas is going to lead us in our, our song tonight for the teachers to go to class. And uh, we again want to say thank you for being here tonight. We're blessed once again to have guests. I know we do have several that are traveling that are out of town because of the Memorial Day weekend. So let's remember all those who are traveling in our prayers. Uh, just a couple of announcements or reminders. Remember our Super Saturday coming up on uh, June the 10th. And it's very important that you register your children or anybody that you know that is coming. Uh, there are forms back there on the uh, welcome counter and on the tables in the foyer. Please pick one of those up and uh, be sure and register the children so that we can get an accurate number. Also, I've been asked to announce this, a big thank you to those who helped the Thames unload all their worldly belongings today. It's kind of humbling when you move, isn't it? And this is, this is all I got, you know, sometime. But it is. All of us feel that way. But they want to thank those who helped. What an amazing group of servants of all ages. With all the wonderful help, it just took 30 minutes to unload the 26-foot truck. Thank you again, the Thames family. So I wanted to pass that along to you. All right, before Thomas comes and leads our song tonight, let's close with a prayer. Will you bow with me? Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we are truly grateful and thankful for all the blessings that we enjoy. Blessings that come from you, Father, and we're indebted to you for all things that we have, and it's in you that we live and move and have our very being. As we think about Memorial Day tomorrow, Father, may we, in this country especially, Think about the freedoms that we enjoy as a country that are unheard of in other places throughout the world. May we never take for granted all the sacrifices that allow us to have this freedom. Most of all, Father, we're thankful as Christians for the freedom we have through Christ Jesus our Lord. And 
his blood that was shed on the cross for our sins and his resurrection that proves that we will have the victory over the grave. We're thankful. We're so thankful for the freedom that we have from sin in Jesus Christ. Father, for those that are sick at this time, those that are uh, having treatments, we pray for them. We pray for those that are are uh, treating them. We pray that things will be done so that they can be restored to their health. We also ask your blessings on those who continue to grieve over the loss of loved ones. Please be with them. Bless us in our Bible study tonight, Father, and continue to bless the church here at Boonville. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. What? Lord's Supper? I know, I threw you off because I remembered it. Sorry. You can still go back there and do it if you hadn't done it yet. Don't do it. Good evening. Today I'll be singing Standing on the Promises 452. Standing on the Promises 452. Just the first verse. Standing on the promises of Christ my It's time for us to continue our uh, lessons on the subject of marriage. Our lesson that we're currently focusing on is on lesson two, uh, on husbands. And uh, the band around a happy family. And we're talking about husbands and their responsibilities. Before we get into that, I, I do want to hopefully remind you all, and I don't think I really need to, about Memorial Day tomorrow. I think it's important for us to reflect. I always... Uh, I love to watch Saving Private Ryan, that movie, and you know, I'll watch the first part of that movie sometime this weekend. I may not watch all of it, but I always watch that first part, 
Uh, I can't imagine, you know, I think about these seniors that just graduated from high school. Can you imagine those boys that age going off and storming a beach like they did on D-Day, many of them that age, or just a little older, uh, sacrificing their lives for, for freedom? And uh, to me, that's just something that's hard for me to grasp sometimes. I get emotional, you know, whenever we have the national anthem or anything like that. Because, you know, you think about all the sacrifices that have been made uh, for us today to have what we have. And I think we ought to reflect on that uh, tomorrow. And, of course, uh, as Christians, we always need to reflect, as we do every first day of the week, on what Jesus did for us on Calvary. Uh, that's very, very important. So I think Memorial Day is important. It's more than just cookouts and getting off work and sleeping in a little bit or whatever the case may be. Uh, there's a lot of people that gave up a whole lot to allow us to have what we have today. All right, I'm going to tell this, and uh, I had it down to do it. I heard it before, uh, and I intended to tell it before he told it, but I'm going to tell it tonight. Uh, Bob age 92, Mary, age 89, were excited about their decision to get married. Can you imagine getting married at age 92 and 89? I just, man. Well, while out for a stroll to discuss the wedding, they passed a drugstore, and uh, Bob suggested that they go in. Bob asked to speak to the pharmacist. He explained that they're about to get married, and he asked the pharmacist, do you sell heart medication? Of course we do. The pharmacist replied, do you sell medicine for rheumatism? Definitely. What about Viagra? Of course. Medicine for memory problems, arthritis, jaundice? Yes, the works. What about vitamins and sleeping pills and geritol and acids and things like that? Absolutely. Uh, do you sell wheelchairs and walkers? All speeds and sizes, he said. Good, Bob said to the pharmacist. We'd like to register for our wedding gifts right here, please. So anyhow, I thought you might find that kind of interesting. Uh, you know, we're talking about uh, husbands today. And the last week, we talked about uh, the importance of being a good husband and exactly what that involves. And I think it's important that we understand that very much. Uh, we stress that the importance of being a good husband is important is true because a man's happiness depends upon the kind of husband he chooses to be. We talked about a man's prayer life uh, depends upon the kind of husband he chooses to be. Also, a man's eternal destiny is dependent upon the kind of husband he chooses to be. And then we emphasized the husband's divine charge to lead. We pointed out and emphasized what it means to lead. It means to show the way. It means to go first. It means to act as a guide, to be the head. And uh, that's true not only in physical and material matters, but it's true in spiritual matters. This idea that some macho men have that church is for women and sissies, you know, is simply not true. Men need to step up and lead their families spiritually. Uh, you take your family where you want them to be. And you really cannot be a, a true leader in your home and of your family as a man unless you're leading your children spiritually in the way that they should go, leading your wife and family. 
That's very, very important. So you're to serve as a guide uh, for others to follow. We also talked about uh, the husband's responsibilities to his wife. And uh, we emphasize that even the little things are very, very important. First of all, a husband is to honor and value his wife. And uh, as we talked about honoring and val valuing our wife, we talked about we are to do that because they are, first of all, the weaker vessel. Uh, that just simply means that a husband, a man, ought to always treat his wife as if she were something more fragile than he is, something that you protect, something that you guide. We also talked about the fact that women, wives are made in the image of God. And just because of that, we need to value and honor our wives. And then we spent some time talking about Proverbs 12 and verse 4, where the Bible describes wives as being a crown to their husband. We talked about how a crown on a man was a sign of being a king, as a sign of royalty. And the same thing is true with a, a good wife. A good wife uh, brings honor uh, to the man and so forth. And uh, both husbands and wives don't want to be the kind of person that would bring shame and scorn upon the family. And then fourthly, they are to honor and value their wives because they are a gift from God, Proverbs 19, verse 14. Now, as we move on to some new material tonight, I want to emphasize the fact that the husband is to provide for his wife. Now, I know times are changing in a lot of ways, and, you know, women, you know, they go and have their careers, and I'm not downing that in any way whatsoever. That's wonderful. But the husband's to provide for the wife. The word translated provide means to think beforehand, ahead of time, to consider. Therefore, when a husband provides for his wife, he's thinking about what her needs might be even before those needs arise and how to best fulfill those needs. And so the mentality of the husband as far as being a provider for his wife, he's thinking about needs that she may have down the road. And what can I do to be the best provider that I can be for my family and for my children in the future? And so we're thinking about ahead of time, not just for right now. How can I provide for the needs of my family? And uh, that's very, very important. Uh, Dr. Willard F. Harley wrote a book entitled, His Needs, Her Needs. And in this particular book, he identifies the wife's five basic needs. And these are the five needs. And before I get into that, you know, men and women are different in a lot of ways, right? I think about a couple that went to the marriage counselor and you know, he asked both of them. First, he asked the wife, what, what brings you here uh, today? And the wife just kind of broke down. Man, my husband just takes everything so seriously, and I'm so tired of it. He asked the husband, what, are you, what brings you here today? He said, my truck. So, you know, uh, those kinds of things uh, happen sometimes. We look at things differently, and we are made differently in some ways. So, 
What are the five things that a wife has as a basic need? Number one is affection. You know, we shouldn't be like the husband who said, you know, I told you I loved you when I married you. And if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. And that's going to be it, you know. Uh, some men are more affectionate than others, but, you know, a wife needs affection. Uh, she needs to be shown affection. Number two, conversation. That can be difficult sometimes. It can be okay sometimes. Conversation. What are we going to talk about? And things that way. Uh, what about transparency? We need to be able to see, a wife needs to be able to see her husband for who he truly is. You know, we hear these uh, horror stories sometimes about these men that have two lives, right? They're married to another family. You know, we've seen and heard the accounts like that, right? You know, and the wife had no idea, you know. Uh, we need to be transparent. They need to know who we are and what we are and how things work and uh, the things that she needs to make her feel comfortable. And so there's affection, conversation, transparency. Number four is financial support. That's very important. A wife wants to feel that everything is going to be okay financially. Now, somebody may say, well, we're just going to live on love. Well, that's good for a while, right, till the stomach starts growling you know, or you're in a hot house somewhere and you ain't got electricity. Uh, certainly you can live on love and love is good, but you got to think about some things. A, a wife, a woman, wants financial security. That's very important to her. And the last one is that he mentions, Dr. Harley in his book, is family commitment. Uh, the wife needs to know, hey, my husband is committed to our family no matter what. He's going to be here no matter what. He's not going to just leave and go away when the going gets rough. And uh, a lot of men have abdicated their responsibilities to their wife and to their children because they just get tired of it all. And maybe they think the grass is greener on the other side, right? And oftentimes that's not true either, is it? It's not as green as you thought it was once you get over there. But it's sad that a lot of husbands have abandoned uh, their wives when the, when the going gets rough. But she needs to feel uh, that commitment. So those are five basic needs as far as providing for your wife that husbands need to consider. Uh, the scriptures affirm that if a Christian husband neglects or refuses to provide for the needs of his wife and family, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8 says he's worse than a what? An infidel. In other words, he is in a worse condition before God than he, if he was never even saved to begin with. That's sad, isn't it? That's a pathetic situation. If you don't provide for his own, you've denied the faith, you're worse than an infidel. And of course, we could talk a long time about this idea of making provisions for the family. But that's very important. And sometimes things get difficult, things get tight. Sometimes things don't go the way they should financially. We have disappointments, we have setbacks. Uh, sometimes maybe there's some kind of illness suddenly that comes upon a man or a woman that causes a financial strain. It could be a number of things that, that happen. But uh, generally speaking, the husband 
As we think about his responsibilities to his wife, he's to provide for his wife. Third thing is, the husband is to protect his wife. Now, think about the word protect. What does that mean, do you think? What does it mean to protect? When you protect something, what does that mean? Do what? Keep them safe. All right, a place of safety. You know, the home, shouldn't the home be a place of safety and security? You know, I just think about so many families that I know of where the father's drinking most of the time. And the home is a place of terror many times. When dad gets there and he's drunk or doing the drugs or whatever, his own thing, and you know, the wife and the kids are just trying to make do. That's such a sad situation. That's certainly not the protection uh, that those children need. I think about uh, this came to my mind during uh, World War II, there were a lot of orphan children overseas in this particular country. And uh, these orphans had to come to a certain place where, you know, the Americans could try to take care of those small children. And they provided them the meals, the nourishment that they needed, and they, they provided bread and all, but they noticed that most of the children would sneak that piece of bread under their clothing and you know hide it and take it with them uh, back to where they're gonna sleep. And they found out why. They found out that those children were so afraid that they were not going to be able to eat again. So they were doing their best to provide something for tomorrow. They felt insecure. Now, once they were told and once they understood that, hey, we've got you, we're taking care of you, you're going to have all you want to eat, then they were fine. But you see, it's important for a family like that to feel that security. Uh, I think about Nehemiah over in Nehemiah 4 and verse 14. While we're building the walls of Jerusalem, I want you to notice the challenge that Nehemiah gave the people there, the men. Talking about the enemies there. Do not be afraid of them, Nehemiah said. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. He said, fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives and your house. And husbands must be willing to do whatever it takes, as Nehemiah challenged the men there to do, to protect their wives. After all, is not the husband to love his wife just like Jesus loved the church? Now, we know that it's true that Jesus died for his bride, the church. That's how much he was willing to do to protect his wife. And a husband needs to be willing to do the same thing. Also, Jesus continues providentially to protect his bride, the church, by coming to her aid. Jesus today is our protector in the church today. We put our faith and trust in him. And just as Jesus did, so as husbands today, we need to make sure that we are protectors. 
Also, Jesus intercedes on behalf of the church, don't, doesn't he? He is our mediator. He intercedes on our behalf. He has our best interest at heart. He wants to do what's right by us, and that's very important. And so just like Jesus, we need to do the same thing for our wives. And also, Jesus mediates on her behalf. The Bible says there's one mediator. Yep. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. It's very interesting there that he calls him a man, right? He was flesh, but he was also divine. And so Jesus continually mediates on our behalf. The Bible says he's our high priest. He was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And so Jesus understands, you know, what we're facing. He understands the frailties of life. He understands what it means to be disappointed. He understands what it means to go without. The Bible said about Jesus on this earth, you know, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man... He doesn't even have a place to lay his head, you know. And so Jesus understands what we're going through. And, of course, we talked about last week, husbands need to be understanding of their wives and try to understand their needs and so forth. Now, I want to emphasize something here. Uh, husbands need to provide for their wives as Jesus has provided for his bride, the church. Now, I want us to notice some one-word ideas here about what Jesus provides for the church and how we as husbands need to do that for the wives. I think that's maybe on the next point there. I hope it is. I don't know if I can't remember if I put it on there or not. Well, I didn't, so get it. Let me get this back up here. First of all, Jesus provides for us spiritually, right? We were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been made alive, right, through Jesus Christ. Spiritually, Jesus provides for us, doesn't he? Whereas there was death, no hope without God, now there is hope. Now we have confidence, not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ. A husband needs to provide for his wife spiritually. He needs to stand up against those challenges, maybe doctrinally, that might impact those in his family. He needs to be able to study and know the scriptures that he might be able to discern what's right and what's wrong and be able to guide those children and his wife in the convictions that become theirs and are theirs. That's very, very important. Spiritual leadership. Also, Jesus provides for the church emotionally, right? Jesus takes care of us. We have the parable of the lost sheep, for example, where, you know, the shepherd, the good shepherd, leaves the 90 and 9. What does he do? He goes out and finds that one sheep that's lost. You think about the prodigal son, right, who went away from home, wasted his substance and riotous living. And oh, how that father in Luke 15 waited for that son to come back home, waited and waited. Can you just imagine that day when that father saw that figure coming down? the That, that can't be my son. He kind of walks like my son. 
but my son wouldn't be dressed that ragged. He wouldn't look that pitiful. And as the figure gets closer, he says, yes, that is my son. What does the Bible say the father did? Ran to him, fell on his neck and kissed him. Welcomed him back, not just as a servant as the son wanted, but as his child once again. Emotionally, Jesus provides for his family and we need to provide for our family as well. Relationally, when it comes to uh, relationships, blood is thicker than water, right? You know, there's something about families that, that stick together. We always, in the past, I know we have quoted Ruth 1, verse 16. Remember Ruth and Naomi? When uh, Ruth is about to possibly leave and depart from Naomi, what does Ruth say to Naomi? She says, entreat me not to leave you. Or return from following after you, for whether you go, I'll go. Whether you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part me and thee. And I think that those words there are very appropriate in regard to a husband and wife relationship. Uh, they are to provide, he is to provide for her relationally. What about financially? We just talked about that, right? If any provide not for his own, he's denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. We need to provide for our wife and our family financially. Also, securely. Jesus provides for us securely, doesn't he? He said, let not your heart be troubled. What? You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, you know, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's security, isn't it? Right? Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And you can mark it down. You can count on it. I'm going to come again. And I'm going to receive you unto myself. And there's just something about the life of a Christian and the security that we can have. Like Romans 8 and verse 1, which says, There's now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's a place where there's no condemnation. Where is that? It's in Christ Jesus. And you think about the security that a Christian enjoys through Jesus Christ. Knowing that the worst case scenario in life is that I get to go to heaven when this life is over. That's the worst case scenario. It's pretty good, isn't it? Right? Don't you agree with that? And so uh, when it comes to Jesus providing security for his bride, the church... Uh, a husband needs to try to provide that same kind of security for his wife. And then physically, you know, Jesus physically gave himself for the church, right? He purchased the church with his own blood. He gave himself for the church. He allowed those nails to be placed in his hands and feet and the spear to be thrust in his side. And so physically... He provided for 
the bride, the church. Physically, you know, husbands, and husbands need to provide that for their wives. We, we talked about uh, the sexual aspect of marriage uh, last week, and it's important, and Paul gave some guidelines on that that we talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. And so we are to provide for our spouse physically, not just the basic necessities, but also the emotional and physical necessities as well. And then number four, the husband is to be faithful to his wife. Now, God expects us not to be perfect as Christians, right? But he expects us to be what? Faithful? Does being faithful mean that we ever mess up? We mess up, right? I can still be faithful. I'm not perfect, but I'm faithful. The Bible says, be faithful unto death, you'll receive the crown of life. Doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. But I do know, 1 John 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, keeps on cleansing us of all sin. Right? I'm going to make some mistakes along the way, but as long as I'm walking in the light and striving to do what I need to do, and I'm willing to confess my sins and repent any time I found to be wrong, then I am secure in the blood of Jesus Christ. I can be faithful. Now, husbands and wives aren't perfect, are they? Not by any stretch. Not by any stretch at all. And, uh, but they can be faithful to each other. Now, Webster defines the word faithful as being devotedly supportive. It means being loyal. It means being worthy of trust or reliable. Should a wife ever have to worry about what her husband's doing if he calls and says he's working late? Huh? She should, he should never give her reason to have to worry about that, right? You know? Uh, same thing is true in regard to the other way around. You know, you should never have to worry about... You know, if your wife is being faithful to you, that's something that you can't put a price tag on, trust. Once you have trust, you need to do everything you can to keep that trust. That's what I tell young people sometimes. If your parents trust you, that's a powerful thing, right? Don't do anything to cause them not to trust you. Because if you get called at a lie or whatever, you know, you didn't, you didn't go where you said you were going to go or be where you were going to be, that trust is compromised, isn't it? You know? And nowadays, more than ever, uh, sexual immorality is all around us, right? Think about our phones, for example, our smartphones. Uh, the devil's really used our technology against us, hadn't he? Right? Uh, probably in a church of around this size, uh, according to studies that have been done, there's probably at least 30 to 45 men that have at least some kind of addiction uh, to pornography online, you know. Uh, it's not like it used to be. Nowadays, you know, it used to be you had to go to some store, right, or go somewhere to... You know, maybe buy some kind of magazine to view pornography. Nowadays, what? You can have complete privacy, can't you? Doesn't cost you anything either. Cost is cheap. 
You know, everything is just set up perfectly for people to uh, not be faithful as they should be. I know a lot of husbands and wives, they have the same email address. They use the same uh, things on their phone, you know, the same Facebook or whatever. Uh, you ought to be able to take your husband or wife's phone and not have any qualms about, you know, giving them the code to unlock it so they can view something on your phone sometime if they need to, right? At the same time, you ought not be so suspicious too. Everything causes suspicion. Some people are like that, aren't they? They falsely accuse people of things sometimes that are not true either. I'm not saying we need to go to that extreme, but we just need to be open and honest and transparent. That's what it means uh, to be faithful. And so as we think about being faithful to our wives and being trustworthy with our spouses, uh, let me first observe that heaven instructs husbands to leave. Literally, it means to depart from their parents. Jesus said you're to what? Leave father and mother and what? Cleave unto your wife. What that's suggesting is, is that wives must be made to be first in their husband's life. A wife should never feel like that she's playing second fiddle to her husband's family, right? Uh, she ought never feel like that she's playing second fiddle to, you know, her husband's set of friends or a profession or job or recreation. You know, she needs to be made to feel that, that she comes first. I know particularly young couples when they get married, sometimes they've had their, you know, circle of friends and they think that they can just continue like they've always done with that circle of friends, right? And uh, I can still do what I used to do with my friends. And sometimes what? The spouse gets left out, right? You know, we go do our own thing. That's dangerous. I know a lot of uh, relationships, marital relationships that have been torn asunder because, you know, maybe a male or a female uh, got involved with some co-workers on their job and did some things that were inappropriate and one thing led to another and, you know, uh, there was unfaithfulness that took place on the part of one spouse. We've got to leave those things behind generally. I'm not talking about just cut it off, but our first priority must be to our spouse. The wife is to occupy the premier position, her husband's thoughts, in his time and his affections. And so the admonition for the husband to nourish and cherish his wife is to be taken to heart. Second, the husband must be faithful to his wife morally. And I just emphasize that. That's very important. Not only must he be faithful in these other areas, he must be faithful to her morally. Proverbs chapter 5 uh, gives us a lot of warnings about the destruction that sexual immorality will cause in marriage. Uh, you talk about the strange woman there in Proverbs chapter 5. Her lips are like honeycomb, you know. Her mouth is smoother than oil. She, she is one that can really talk flattering to this particular man. And a lot of men are susceptible to that kind of thing, right? They can be lured away by that kind of thing. Now, it's very interesting to me that the way the Bible teaches us to avoid sexual immorality is different from other sins. 
This is not the kind of sin that you fight. This is not the kind of sin you stand around and argue about. This is the kind of sin in which you flee. You run away from her. Proverbs 5 says you don't go near her door. You get yourself out of there. Remember Joseph? What did he do when he was confronted with sexual immorality? Some people might have said, well, you know, Mrs. Potiphar, you and I need to get on our knees right now and pray to God about this. We should, you shouldn't be talking like this to me. No, that's not what Joseph did, right? The Bible says he got himself out of there, left his coat in her hands. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18 to flee, flee sexual immorality, flee fornication. That's the way you handle it. And husbands must remember that they're going to be held accountable by God for the way that they've treated their wives, and that's important. Also, number five, and I'm not getting through this near as quickly as I wanted to, the husband is to continually court his wife. It's a lot easier said than done, isn't it, right? Uh, there was a Chinese, uh, a Chinese statesman, you know, a prominent man in China, said that marriages in China and America are different. He said marriages in China begin like this. He said it's like putting a kettle of cold water on a hot stove and it begins to warm up and boil and it continues to remain hot. He said but marriages in America are like putting a kettle of boiling water on a coal stove and it begins to cool off and it's not long until it's cold. Tragically, there may be more fact than fiction, right, in that analogy, but there's some truth there. That's why the wise man penned in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 9, he said, enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life. And life is fleeting, isn't it? You know, these people that we hear about that are married for 60-plus years, they're just amazed how quickly time has gone by. You know, it's astounding, and it is, how quickly time goes by. Moses wrote, when a man has taken a new wife, listen to this, what if we did this today? If a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go to war, he shall not be charged with any business, he shall be free at home for one year and bring happiness to his wife that he has taken. That's Deuteronomy 24 and verse 5. What if we implemented that today? Well, some wives probably go crazy, wouldn't they? You know, if your husband stayed home, you know, a whole year, got to get him out of the house quick, right? Uh, but uh, anyhow, that was the provisions that were made in the Old Testament. Uh, in France, uh, the Count of Chabral, his name was Jean Camille, he is reported to have proposed on his knees to his wife every day of their wedded life. It is said that he repeated the same lines about 23,000 times. And yes, husbands need to continually court their wives. Accordingly, husbands maybe need to evaluate themselves through the following questions. Now, I told y'all last week that when preparing for this lesson, you know, my toes are bloody and blue and 
maybe even getting decapitated somewhat now, but anyhow, uh, accordingly, maybe husbands need to evaluate themselves this way. Do I dedicate as much time to my wife as I did when we were courting? Number two, do I speak the same sweet complimentary words I did when we were courting? Is my appearance, oh man, and dress as neat and nice and attractive as it was when we were courting? You gonna wear that thing to Walmart? Are you kidding me? Yeah, okay. Uh, do I sit with my wife as I once did when we were courting? She's over here now, and he's over here somewhere, right? Okay, well. Uh, do I call my wife on the telephone just to hear her voice as I did when we were courting? Aren't you thankful we can text now? <laughs> Anyhow, you know, do I want to just call my wife just to hear? I just wanted to hear your voice. He'd think he was drunk if he called and said that to you, wouldn't he? Right? Yeah, what in the world are you doing now? What's going on here? You need to go to the emergency room. All right. Uh, do I walk with my wife in the same manner as I did when we were courting? I don't walk the same with this much fat now. You know, back then I was only 130 pounds. You know, I walk differently anyway. But do I walk with my wife in the same way? Do we walk the same way? Number next, do I still unashamedly hold her hand as I did when we were courting? We were courting. That's important. All right, number six, and we're getting to the end of this. Maybe we can make it. Uh, we've got about five minutes here. The husband is to share his life with his wife. The prophet Malachi conveys the idea of the husband sharing his life with his wife by using the expression here, your companion, Malachi 2 verse 14, your wife by covenant, companion. There's a covenant together. Peter communicates the idea of sharing by describing the husband and wife as heirs together of the grace of life, 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. We're heirs together of all these wonderful spiritual blessings. You know, uh, we're one and the same. We're all one in Christ Jesus. The marriage relationship is often referred to as a team. And so the scriptures, when it talks about being a team, says, if two lie down together, they shall keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 11. Uh, Amos 4, 3 and 3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? You know, religiously. Now in football, you can, you, you don't, you can be a divided house. That, that does work. I don't know how, but it works, you know. Uh, and back in Alabama, there's always the Alabama-Auburn tags, you know, a divided house. And generally, people get along with that pretty well. Football, it can work. Religiously, I don't know if it can work or not. Usually it's turmoil, you know. Uh, you know, people take their football seriously, and that's fine, and that's wonderful. But you generally don't have a divorce and uh, chaos, you know, because maybe your wife went to one school and you went to the other school. You get along fine and have good fun. But there's some things that you have to agree on and you need to agree on in order to have the peace and harmony that you need. Religion would be one of those. And I need to make certain about that. Can two walk together except they be agreed? 
Therefore, what God hath joined together, let not man separate. Mark 10 and verse 9. There's the idea of being joined together. The parents of John the Baptist are tremendous examples of a husband and wife sharing their lives together. The Bible describes them by saying they were both righteous before God. They helped one another stay righteous. And so truly husbands and wives should play together, work together in the home, in the church. They should worship together. They should grow together. They should live together. Uh, last week after we got done, uh, you were asking me, Doug, why? Uh, why do husbands die before their wives do? Why is that generally the rule? Well, I found out the reason why. They want to. I'm just... Yeah. I get, you know, there's some health scenarios that come up, but they just, I heard, I read somewhere, they want to. So that's the best answer I can give you, all right? So anyhow. All right, number next here, the last one here, before we conclude, is the husband should work to ensure his wife's happiness. Uh, Brother Willard Collins, former president of Lipscomb, wrote, Mr. and Mrs. J.E. Acuff are a source of inspiration for me. Married since September the 3rd, 1902, each at the age of 23, Mrs. Acuff states, I cannot remember the time when I've been unhappy since my wedding day. Although for a few years I had to use a clothing box for a dining table, I'm happy with that. And so, you know, the Bible admonishes husbands to be happy in their marriage, thereby ensuring their wives' happiness. And we need to remember that happiness is serendipitous. That means it always comes back to those who bring happiness. And therefore, the husband needs to think of his wife and understand his wife and serve his wife, and therefore, they'll be happy. And I'm going to close with this real quick. The husband is truly the band around the marriage. He must work tirelessly to ensure the success of the marriage. Therefore, each husband needs to resolve to be a husband like Jacob who will love his wife. Jacob served seven years for Rachel, right? They seemed to him but a few days for the love he had for her. Uh, we need to be a husband like Elkanah, who will go to worship with his wife, 1 Samuel 1. We need to be a husband like Manoah, who will pray with and for his wife in Judges chapter 13. You need to be a husband like Zechariah, who will live righteously with his wife. You need to be a husband like Joseph, who will not embarrass his wife. Remember, Joseph and Mary, and he found out Mary was with child, and they are betrothed, and it's not his. He could have made a shameful thing out of that, right? Put her away publicly. But he was a just man. He didn't embarrass his wife. We need to be a husband like Aquila who will work for Jesus with his wife. And then lastly, remember, it's impossible to be a faithful Christian and an unfaithful husband. All right, any comments y'all want to add to this? Anything y'all want to add? I want to make sure I finish this up tonight. Now, next week, we're having a special missionary, I think, to come in to talk to us to give a report June 4th, if I remember correctly. I'm going to be out of town next Sunday, so that worked good for me. I start a gospel meeting in Adamsville, Alabama on the 4th, and uh, so I'll be gone. And then on June the 18th, I'll begin a gospel meeting at Red Bay, Alabama, and Guy Gardner is going to fill in for me on the 18th. So we ought to be taken care of, and we ought to be good to go at least through June, right? So uh, I, we're going to continue our studies on this. We're going to talk about wives next time. So uh, get ready.
And uh, we'll be looking forward to that. Thank you very much for your attention, and I appreciate it.